From the Salvation Army, welcome to the Holiness Podcast with Lieutenant Colonel Vern Jewett. In this monthly Bible study, we'll be exploring God's gift of holiness, which is offered to every Christian. To download this month's study guide, visit us at salvationarmysoundcast.org slash holiness. Hi, this is Vern Jewett, and welcome to the Holiness Podcast. It's June, and summer is here, and we're going to focus this summer in our Bible studies, uh, in-depth Bible studies looking at the doctrine of holiness in the Bible. We're going to focus on the concept of salvation, and so uh, I invite you to open your Bible so that you'll be prepared when we come to our text to 2 Corinthians the fifth chapter, and you'll be ready when we come to that part of our study. Salvation is a very big word, and it's a word that all of us use and are familiar with, but often, I believe, we are victimized by a distorted view of salvation because of our culture. And so we're going to take a good look at the broad view of salvation for at least uh, this month and next month, this summer, and maybe even a third. One of the most common definitions for holiness and terms that were described, especially back during the Wesleyan Revival, was the term full salvation which is a way of describing salvation in its completeness. Because the recovery which John Wesley beautifully led by putting together justification and sanctification and Christian perfection as the expression of entire sanctification, that restored the New Testament message to its original wholeness. You see, the doctrine of holiness is not a place of theological provincialism. In fact, the great value and contribution of John Wesley to the church was the restoration of the New Testament message to its original wholeness. Now, we are, to kind of paint the picture... We are on the right side of Easter, but very often we are on the wrong side of Pentecost. We are on the right side of pardon, but we are on the wrong side of power, spiritual power. And that's because we are on the right side of justification, but the church has been so often on the wrong side of sanctification. And so the term full salvation addressed this half-understanding of salvation. The distorted view suggests that all we need to do is pray a prayer and be truly sorry and say that we believe in the Lord Jesus and we are saved, and what happens after that doesn't make any difference. But as we have learned over the last almost three years now in probing the, the scriptures, and studying about holiness. It is not enough to be forgiven. We are saved to be holy. 
And one of the terms used was full salvation by those in the holiness movement. What I want to do today to begin the discussion of full salvation is to talk about full salvation with a specific look at repentance. Repentance is one of the most important doctrines in the New Testament. It is part of the response that a believer makes when they become a follower of Jesus Christ. The definition of repentance is a decision that changes the direction of our life and keeps us ever headed toward God. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia. It's derived from two words. One means to change, the word meta, and then nous is the word for mind. So literally, the word means to change one's mind. It is used in the Septuagint as a direct translation of the Old Testament word shuv, which carries with it the meaning to turn your life around and go in a completely new direction. So it's good for us to stop and clarify what the word repentance means. Because from the beginning, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, what God requires of his people has always been faith and repentance. But both of those words can be watered down and stripped of some of their value if we are not careful. So let's talk about repentance a little bit because it is a very misunderstood word. Repentance does not mean confession. Sometimes we think repentance means that you admit that you have done something wrong. Well, that's confession, but repentance doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean remorse, feeling of deep emotional regret for what you have done. Repentance doesn't mean penance, actions in payment so that you can be absolved from the guilt of something you have done. And repentance does not mean a once-in-a-lifetime event that leads to salvation, a single event where you repent and now you're in salvation land. No, repentance, in fact, is our response to God's forgiveness. We're going to talk about forgiveness, which is at the heart of much misunderstanding about what it means to be a Christian. Repentance, you see, is not a requirement for forgiveness. Repentance is our response to God's forgiveness. Let me give you some examples of that very clearly taught in the New Testament. John says in 1 John 2.12, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Not on account of anything you sought, but because of his name. 2 Corinthians 5.19, part of our textual passage actually, in just a few moments, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. You see, God has 
completed the work of salvation and provided for forgiveness. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? So repentance is a response to God's forgiveness. Now, we need to talk a little bit about repentance and forgiveness. Forgiveness does not conquer sin. Forgiveness cancels sin. And that forgiveness happens once in our lives when we accept Jesus as our Savior, and it relates directly to the wonderful truth of justification. We are counted as righteous. Our sins are forgiven and are, according to God's word, cast into the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, so our sins are cast from us. So forgiveness does not conquer sin. Forgiveness is the one-time act of God in forgiving our sins and justifying us. Rather, repentance conquers sin. Because, you see, repentance produces accountability. Let me try to illustrate that, because I think we understand that in our culture, even uh, non-Christian society understands that forgiveness does not conquer sin. If forgiveness conquered sin in our secular lives, in society, then a person that stole a car would be brought to justice by asking the car owner for forgiveness, and then it would be over. But that's obviously not true. Even society demands that compensation must be made, penalties must be paid, perhaps financial, perhaps taking freedom away with incarceration, or perhaps both. Repentance, you see, produces accountability. Now that's why it is so important for us to understand, as both the Old and New Testament tell us that the be made right with God, we ought to and we must have faith and we must repent. Repentance brings accountability and repentance actually is the antidote to sin in a believer's life. Why? Now we're getting at the heart of salvation because salvation is not that one-time act. Salvation is a life and it's a life of faith and repentance. So repentance is the antidote to sin in a believer's life. Another way of saying that is living and sinning for a Christian means denying the available grace in our lives. Because living by grace means resisting and denying sin in our lives. Now perhaps there are those of you right now that struggle in your Christian experience. I think all of us probably have had an experience with this struggle. Maybe you can relate to this description. One of the great problems 
when we ignore the doctrine of sanctification and the wonderful possibility of living a life in the power of God's Spirit is that believers learn to live with this expected cycle. They sin, and then they seek forgiveness. Now, we've already touched on the danger there, but let's, let's look at how it works in real life. If we live by that principle that we sin and then seek forgiveness, we are denying God's grace, we can easily become accustomed to sinning, we can even become accepting of sinning and then thinking we simply have to seek forgiveness. And soon, as a pastor, I've seen people become even oblivious to sinning. The common error we're talking about that I believe is prevalent among many Christians is that sin requires forgiveness when in fact your sins are forgiven. What sin requires is repentance. And even more tragic than that is the underlying assumption that God has dealt with sin and deals with sin only by forgiving it. That, dear friends, is a tragic half-truth. What's missing? <laughs> What's missing is that God has dealt with sin and deals with sin not only by having forgiven it, but by giving the believer power over sin. I love that verse in Charles Wesley's beautiful hymn, He Breaks the Power of Canceled Sin. He sets the prisoner free. You can be free from that cycle that so many believers find themselves in that we just described. You see, salvation is a life of faith and repentance. The great theologian Karl Barth in his uh, uh, landmark commentary on the book of Romans said this, he said, repentance for a Christian is the primary ethical action upon which all secondary ethical conduct depends and by which it is illuminated. In other words, repentance is the way of life for the believer. Now, when he came to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which we have studied in an earlier series and podcast, that's the verse that says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect or complete. When he comes to that verse, he simply says, that renewing of your mind that transforms your life, he says, that is repentance. So repentance is a way of living. It is a constant turning toward God. When we are saved and repent, it means that we turn our lives completely around. We have a new focus. We have a new power. We're going to explore that in a passage in just a moment. And it is a new way of life. 
Salvation is not something that happens at one point and is done. Salvation is a way of living. It is a life. That's why we say that we are being saved. Wonderful verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 18, many of you would know it. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So we're talking about the power to live a Christian life, and we're talking about the fact that we are always being saved. Salvation is a life, not something other than that. So conversion is the response, I'm sorry, repentance is the response to God's forgiveness. Repentance is not the requirement for forgiveness. And conversion or becoming saved, salvation, is entering upon a life of repentance. Now, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to take that wonderful truth and just take one of the many, many passages in the New Testament which describe what a life of full salvation, a life of faith and repentance in the power of God's Spirit looks like. And once we read this passage and start studying it, I think there will be a consuming awareness for all of us that salvation is so misunderstood and so watered down for so many people. There is nowhere in the New Testament where salvation is simply a single act and a prayer that then it doesn't matter what happens afterwards. You are saved. No, salvation is turning around, starting a new way of life, and living in the power of God's Spirit. Now, this wonderful passage that we're going to start reading at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. We're going to read eight verses to chapter 6, verse 3. And this section, this illustration of what full salvation looks like, we're going to entitled God's Fellow Workers, and you'll see why in a moment. So beginning with verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, I want you to just stop a minute and notice this is being written to all the believers, all the Christians in the Corinthian church, which has its problems. But Paul does not hesitate to say, as we keep reading, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin 
to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a powerful statement. Now, verse 1 of chapter 6, as God's fellow workers, I think it would be a wonderful thing if when people accept Jesus as their Savior, it is explained to them, you are now, for the rest of your life, a fellow worker with God himself. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Well, there are four exciting things in this passage that describe full salvation that describe what it means once we are saved to become God's fellow workers. The first is new life. What a marvelous verse. I've heard it all my life. I've experienced it. But every time I hear it, my heart just responds, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. This is a new life. This is what it means to be regenerated, to be born a second time, to be born again, as Jesus said to Nicodemus. You are new creatures, new creations in Christ Jesus. Do you remember the day you were born spiritually? The old is gone, the new has come. Brothers and sisters, we are talking about the turning point in your life. For the Apostle Paul, there are two great companies of people in the world. Those who are in sin and those who are in Christ. You remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, As for you, speaking to the Ephesian church, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But then in verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. So the first thing that happens is not just that you are counted as a Christian and justified and forgiven, but you have new life. You are spiritually reborn. And that phrase, in Christ, it's used sometimes in him or in the Lord, or variations of that, is used by Paul 164 times. This is the demarcation line of your life. This is the turning point of your life. The result is, once you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, it is no more business as usual. Well, when we read verse 20, maybe your ear picked up on it when we read it, you are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We have not only new life, we have a new responsibility. I think I mentioned in an earlier podcast 
We sing the chorus often, everybody ought to know who Jesus is. But the truth in our world is that everybody doesn't know who Jesus is. You have been saved for a purpose, dear friends, not just to go to heaven. You have been saved to work for God and with God, to be his ambassador and to be his fellow worker here on earth. And those wonderful two verses filled with the term reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, and he's given us that message of reconciliation. We have a session of Salvation Army officers just commissioned uh, eight days ago in Atlanta and many around the world, not on the same day, but in the same season. And we give our Uh, seminary students, we give them a name, a session name. And the newest officers, pastors in the Salvation Army, were part of a class, like a college class or a seminary class, that are called Messengers of Reconciliation. This is nothing new. This is the big picture. God made it clear in the Old Testament when he first spoke to Abraham, when he first called Abraham and made of him the nation of Israel, and he called them to be a light to the nations. They were unwilling, and they failed. The great tragedy of the Old Testament story is that the Israelites were fickle with the promises they made God, and over and over again, they served idols rather than God. Now, before we are too quick to say we don't serve idols, we too, friends, can be unwilling and fail to be a light to the nations. It can happen so subtly. It can happen as easily as becoming convinced that the most important thing about going to church is that I am pleased with the worship and with what happens there. That the worship and the The church is for us. It's for me. And then we want the activities of the church and the outreach of the church to make us happy. You know, worship, which is a broad word, we talked about Romans 12, 2. Romans 12, 1 says that to make our lives a living sacrifice is our reasonable act of worship. Worship, in its truest meaning, is diametrically opposed to pleasing ourselves. True worship is designed to please God. Well, are you getting excited? I hope you are. We have new life. We have new responsibility. And in this passage, these eight verses, we are told that we have a new power. Now, this is a remarkable statement. It ought to Stop us all in our tracks. You are, verse 21 says, the righteousness of God. And then it explains that God became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God, 
who by nature is perfect, holy, righteous, good, sinless. He sent his son who became God in human flesh and gave his life and be for us and became sin for us. We who are sinful and imperfect and unholy and unrighteous for the purpose so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, we have a new power. Once we are part of the family of God and have accepted Jesus as our Savior and have the Holy Spirit in our life, we can be righteous in Christ. In fact, that is our destiny. That is our calling. I always think of Galatians 2.20. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. The source of all spiritual power, and that's what we're talking about here, is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ living in me. And we should become the righteousness of God. We've mentioned before that Luke wrote two great books in the New Testament. The first is a gospel, one of the four gospels. He ends it by saying, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high, and that was the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then in the very beginning of the story of the church, the book of Acts, he says exactly the same thing. He picks up at exactly the same place and says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The Holy Spirit is the gift of God, but the greater gift it seems impossible, but God doesn't promise to do what he's not willing to do for us, is that because of Christ's sacrifice, in him we can become the righteousness of God. New life, new responsibility, new power. Do you see how different that is from a, an understanding that so many people have that to become a Christian is simply a momentary acceptance that Jesus is their Savior and then nothing happens from that point on? Here's the fourth reality. We have a new command. We have a new purpose in life. Chapter 6, verse 2 says, Now, is the day of salvation, and now is the time of God's favor. I was the president of our uh, seminary when one of our students gave his testimony and said, I was a silent Christian. Well, we can't be a silent Christian when we've read this passage and digested the fact that we have new life, new responsibility, new power, and a new command. We are to tell the story of salvation. Many years ago, I was part of a small group and we sang a song. I've never heard it from, well, in the past 50 years, actually. But the words have stuck with me. There are those who have never heard who know nothing about God's word, how will they know unless we go? 
how will their hearts be stirred? Untold millions, yet untold. Does it matter? Does it matter to you? It's, an, it's the command. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day that we are to tell the story. And if there's a textual verse, I suggested it was chapter 6, verse 1. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Wow, that's a powerful statement. That's a statement that can haunt us if we take it seriously. What does it mean to receive God's grace in vain? It means to make worthless, to invalidate God's sacrificial offering and power and gift of grace by failing to tell people that now is the day of salvation. You see, there's a great danger, especially when we've been in the church for many years, some of us seems all our lives. The familiarity of it all can add to the anesthetic. General Wiseman, Clarence Wiseman, one of the Salvation Army's worldwide leaders, says that grace is a one-word summary of all God did. But the tragedy, verse 1 says, is for God's grace to be received in vain. In other words, you and I are saved, but God's purpose can't be fulfilled because we're not available to tell people that today is the day of salvation. Well, I hope this has opened up for you as it has for me this idea of describing holiness as full salvation. One of the realities is that repentance, turning around and going a totally new direction in life, when it's properly understood, demands holiness. So I want to close with those words that I mentioned early on that can describe us if we are not earnestly, faithfully, desperately seeking to be all that God wants us to be. Too many Christians are on the right side of Easter, but the wrong side of Pentecost. Too many are on the right side of pardon, but the wrong side of power. Too many are justified, but not sanctified. And the classic doctrine of salvation that John Wesley brought with him and that has birthed our whole uh, <clears throat> group of churches in that tradition that tell the full gospel have this story. It's not enough to be forgiven. Friends, we are saved to be holy. That's what full salvation is. Next month, we're going to go to Philippians 2 and talk about Paul's statement that we are to work out 
our salvation. Not work for it, not work at it. <laughs> we are to work out in our lives our salvation. And it will help us continue to understand that salvation in its completeness includes justification, forgiveness, sanctification, ongoing, and then glorification when God calls us home. We are being saved by the power of God. Well, the Lord bless you. I hope that you will come back and join us next month as we talk about working out our salvation. Have a wonderful month, and we'll see you when we gather again. Thanks so much for listening, and we'd love to hear from you. Share your thoughts, questions, or prayer requests. Visit us at SalvationArmySoundcast.org slash holiness. And if you're enjoying this Bible study, share it with a friend. They can subscribe wherever they get their podcasts. Thank you.